welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jaspin, and today my guests are Amy Buchanan and Maria Grivas, two of the market's most prominent media agency executives. We're a year on from Buchanan moving across from Omnicom's OMD in the biggest agency talent move of 2021, and we're three months on from Grivas arriving from Media Brands' reprise, taking over from longtime Mindshare CEO Katie Rig Smith. While we do cover a lot in this episode, for the reasons I listed alone, there's a lot to talk about. So let's get into it. CEO of Group M Australia and New Zealand, Amy Buchanan, and CEO of Mindshare Australia, Maria Grivas. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Great to see you both. Uh, it's been, I guess, the last time we properly had you on the podcast, Amy, was I think mid mid last year when you were you were still at OMD. A lot has happened since then. Um, it's been just over a year at Group M. There's, there's, there's a lot that's happened within that time. We've had a couple of um, brand changes, a pretty different senior leadership team now. Can you can you give us your take one year in? How are things going? Yeah, it's been awesome. Look, uh, the way I'm saying is there's a lot to do, but we're having a lot of fun doing it. And I think a big part of that, as you say, has been rebuilding the team. And I think with people such as Maria coming in, you know, Scott Laird coming in, we've got, you know, Pat stepping into the E&M role, PV, holding the reins firmly on Wavemaker. It's just been a cracking year to get to know that executive team and build that team. And I think we're really, we've done some awesome things. So if I think about you know, a year in, we've reset sort of the future of work and I think built a really exciting employer proposition around our um, program Strive. Uh, we have launched our sustainability initiative and I think we're all really proud that the work that we're doing in that space, you know, we've measured over 200 million impressions in the last two months and offset 180 uh, tonnes of carbon and continuing to look at how we reduce that. Uh, we've built new product capability. It's just been, there's been a lot, but it feels good. And, you know, I'm having a lot of fun and in really enjoying getting to know the people, clients and brands. Well, there's a there's a lot in there already. And I think a lot that we will touch on in the podcast. <laughs> and to be clear, E&M, that's the name we're going with for now with uh, Essence Media Com on this podcast. For those well, I didn't... keep saying it, but I'm not sure I'm meant to be saying it, but we'll go with it. <laughs> and uh, Maria, you it's, I believe, around three months or so. Um, what's your early observations or feelings, um, as, as we mentioned, uh, in the purple side of things? So, uh, well, we mentioned that before the podcast, but in the purple mindshare colours. Yeah, so, oh, I've had the most wonderful nine weeks getting to know everything within the business. I think I was um, quite fortunate having such a strong handover with Katie uh, in those initial weeks and she's continued to uh, be such a mentor and check-in point for me as we've transitioned. Um, But I think, you know, what's really been so impressive to me is just the culture of Mindshare, how it reverberates through the halls um, of our organisation. I had heard about it from the outside and heard how legendary it was, but um, didn't quite expect it to be this deep and ingrained in the organisation. And it really is a culture of collaboration and care. And it's so nice to be a part of a new business with such heritage that is also so welcoming and open to different and change. 
Um, I've also been engaging with clients, obviously, and, you know, just been so impressed with the depth of those partnerships um, and how welcoming and candid um, our clients have been in engaging in what we can do to partner in this next chapter. It's it's a really interesting situation that you've come into because you speak about the culture of Mindshare and you're taking over from someone who, I guess, almost 10 years has become so closely intertwined with that brand. I say 10 years, uh, Katie was there for much longer than that. Um, you also have this unique situation and it, obviously it's a, it's a great situation to be in when the person that you're replacing is staying within the company. What has that been like, I guess, having Katie around and kind of taking over from, I guess, this this person who is so closely ingrained with that brand and also having her there to sort of help you in as you come in as well? I feel really fortunate, to be totally um, frank. I think, you know, stepping into a role of this magnitude uh, with, you know, not having the guidance um, and, you know, proper handover of the predecessor would be, you know, a different kind of challenge. So having the stability of Katie's leadership to really ensure that that handover is seamless um, has been amazing. Uh, But, you know, Katie's just an epic person, right? So, you know, outside of the business, I've really enjoyed getting to know her as a person and, you know, having laughs with her as well and uh, really, you know, having a checkpoint to, to just ensure that, you know, I keep moving in the right direction in these early days. Um, Katie was obviously part of my recruitment process as well. So we'd obviously formed a relationship before I was appointed. And that was also really critical to ensure that I had a good sense of the business I was walking into. And it was an aligned leadership based on the culture and the values that we hold at Mindshare as well. I think just to add um, to that, we, we, Carl, we really wanted... Um, Katie to feel like she was having a say and involved in who would take over from Mindshare because it yeah. was a critical part of the business was Katie and I think for for Katie Mindshare was a critical part of her life and it, it was actually I think for all of us a quite nice experience to go through and and Katie, I think, was probably one of the most vocal people uh, that Maria was absolutely the right choice in terms of where Mindshare should and could go. So, uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess on that, you kind of have this um, situation where you, as at the start, you mentioned a few of those things like Pat, obviously moving into that um, merged agency role. You've brought in some of your own people, but at the same time, you've had a lot of continuity to help you throughout this first year? Has that kind of, I guess, made things a little bit easier on your end as well, Amy? Yeah, I mean, we did an offsite last week and I think I opened to say it was it was really hard to leave the last role that I was in. Like, you know, I had a, a absolute affinity with that business, but the team here made it really easy to join. And I feel incredibly grateful to the stability of, of a lot of that exco that, just really welcomed not only me but my sort of chaos of wanting to do things and change things and build things and I think everyone's um, embraced that and and sort of assisted and and gone on that journey and and that's made it a lot the the first year a lot easier than I think it would have been in a lot of other businesses and culture coming in and a bit unexpected to me if I was honest it's probably been the bit that I I was most anxious about was what 
you know, would there be resistance? Would there be challenge? And there's always challenge in a new role, but I feel like it hasn't been from people. It's just been from trying to make the right decisions and do the right things. I think everybody's collaborated, as Maria sort of said, really well. There's been really robust discussion in that as well, which is, I think is important and healthy. Was that, I guess, you spoke about, I think, when you when you actually moved across to Group M last year about the changes that you wanted to make and you said there's been a lot to do this year. Was it a case of you need, like you wanted to be sure when you were coming across that you had the backing to do those things and that you would be able to if you were going to make that, I guess, such a big change, Amy? I think any role when you're stepping into a leadership position, having clarity around the remit and the responsibility and accountability to make that change is important. Like at this level, if you can't shape it to be what it, it, the potential of what you think it could be, then there's kind of no point. Um, yeah. And yeah, I felt like, look, I think it, it, what I can say all the things in the world about that, but I think what actually speaks to it is what we've done in the last year. So, um, Maria, your background is quite digital and um, I guess tech and performance um, based. You, you spoke a little bit, well, both of you spoke a little bit about how Katie kind of thought that you were, well, she was very sure that you were the right person for this role. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you're, I guess, hoping to bring some of that experience and uh, kind of w- w- where you're coming from to Mindshare and maybe if that suggests, I guess, a little bit about the direction that you're looking to take the agency? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's been quite exciting for me to step into this role with the background that I do have. I don't think it's, you know, necessarily reflective of the traditional mould of an agency CEO. Um, And I think it's important for where agencies need to evolve and diversify their capabilities to continue to offer a relevant and effective service for our clients. Um, So a lot of what we talk about at Mindshare is, you know, related to our good growth proposition. We're all about delivering good growth for our clients. And what we do is define for our clients what good actually means. There are many different ways to achieve growth. Um, But in today's climate, understanding that nexus of how growth is sustainable, how it's enduring, how you can, you know, look at growth from a diversified perspective um, is really what will drive effectiveness So that naturally leads to new capabilities being required to accomplish that. So for us, we talk about bringing that um, existence of a brand digitally into the centre of how we think about driving brand growth. And so our deep bench in SEO, our deep bench in affiliates, um, our deep bench in analytics and first party data strategy really starts to enable that. So with my background and skill sets, I can add a lot of value into how we catalyze yeah. those areas of capability to achieve that for our clients. And I guess the way that um, Mindshare also currently goes to market, the couple of kind of lines I've tried to, to pull together, I've read is create media experiences um, for clients and their consumers uh, and have fun while doing it, which is quite a nice one. And then um, another one that says uh, agency places uh, purpose over profit. C- can you speak a little bit more about, I guess, how that actually comes to life in the work that you're doing and I guess how that can be seen as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we talk a lot about intentional growth. 
um, and how that is, you know, what intentions we want to have behind that growth and how that aligns to a brand's purpose. I think the work we do with Volvo is a really great example of that. Just recently in Australia, they announced that they're bringing forward their pursuit to be fully electric as a fleet um, by 2026. So that's four years earlier than um, their global intention. Um, And for me, that just really signals the type of client partnerships and relationships that we have where we think about all the way through to the way we deploy media, the way we think about creativity in order to really bring that purpose forward um, and to support clients in that undertaking and that ambition. And then, um, Amy, it would be, I guess, good. We're going into 2023. Um, As of January 1, we will have this official although it's currently already in operation, this official new Group M lineup. Um, it would be great, I guess, to, to get from, from, from your sense, um, how do you think that Mindshare really does differentiate itself from those other two agencies within that stable? Yeah, no problem. So look, I think Maria's given you a good articulation of the focus of Mindshare and really that emphasis on how you drive growth but with the sense of what good looks like and I I think that is the point of difference for Mindshare it's and it's reflected in both the way the way that they go about finding those paths but also the behaviors and culture within the business and and Maria describes sort of the the richness of culture you do you walk into Mindshare and you feel you feel like someone's given you a warm hug. It's sort of got this lovely, incredible feeling. I didn't believe it, actually. I remember Katie telling me about it and me thinking, oh, it can't be that good. But you you actually feel like you're going home <laughs> when you go in there. It's quite a lovely sort of sentiment. So, And it's a big part of, of delivering on that proposition because I think a lot of agencies put propositions out there, but the behaviours of the people in the business don't line, align to them. Yeah. So as far as where that sits against the backdrop of the other Group M agencies, I think you, you look at Wavemaker, which is, you know, their positioning is very much around provocation, positive provocation, which is, I think, really reflected in how they are driving disruption either within the categories their clients operate or in finding new categories. So if you think about the client base of a Jetstar, you know, fundamentally challenging the way that airlines operate in this country, the first low cost carrier in the country disrupting that incredibly well. Um, then you think about a Hungry Jacks in the, in the quick service economy or the new economy clients such as Netflix, DoorDash that are, that are creating new, new verticals and new categories. So that's, that's the positioning of Wavemaker, which I think is, is quite unique. And then the last one, which you sort of talked about launching into next year is um, Essence Mediacom. I'll say the full name so I don't get into trouble. And their positioning is very much bringing the richness of the, the digital capability that existed in Essence built around Google globally and marrying that with the scale and network of Mediacom in a world that clients don't need to pick between a specialist and a scaled proposition. Um, and mm-hmm. what I love about that, and I think is unique about what they're building is, and we had this chat the other day, Carl, is we've talked about the eras of advertising that have happened you know, in the last 20, 30 years, got moving from traditional to a digital economy, uh, and then the merging of those two worlds in that next era. And Essence Mediacom will be built to resolve and manage that. Obviously, that was a massive uh, announcement that came near the start of this year, which was pretty pretty near 
your um i guess your first six months or so amy how do you sort of manage something like that when you're you're coming into a group the size of um wpp's group m and then you're kind of thrown this curveball uh when you're already trying to i guess put your stamp on on things what was that like for you and i guess how, how did you manage that Look, it was a big surprise. I, don't, I think I'd be lying if I said I, I'd expected that. I don't think any of us were sitting there going, that's <laughs> going to happen. Having said that, it was becoming very apparent that there was something in the magic of Essence and MediaCom working together. We'd seen it manifest itself in Google with um, the Media Futures Group proposition that was built internationally. We saw it on Mars. It was starting to become a tried and tested way of going to market. So whilst mm-hmm. I didn't expect it and I didn't have it in my 90-day plan, it was definitely logical from a global point of view. And I think you, you kind of can't question that those two things together are stronger. Um yeah, look, I think the way that I sort of personally navigated that is just to put the people first. And and I think we tried to make some really quick decisions to give people clarity on where they sat in that structure from an executive point of view. We wanted to enable our people to have that. So it was just with transparency and clarity, which I think is the best way to handle all of these things. And if you're honest with people about where things are at, no one was sitting there, I think, going, Ames, you made this call. It was it was more around, you know, we, we communicated as quickly as possible. We did a lot of work with the Globe on aligning the timing. So I think Anzac Day was around that time. We didn't want it to happen there so that our people heard about it on a public holiday and they were really respectful to that. So I think, yeah, my philosophy, yeah. and we've chatted a few times, is just be transparent and, and try to behave in a way that you'd want people to communicate to you. Yeah, and you, you mentioned we sort of spoke about it the other day. Uh, you, you have this obviously big global move, but then there's also the sort of unique situation locally. Could you, you, you spoke a little bit about bringing through that heritage of a brand like Icon. How, how is that going to play out locally as well? Because I understand that's still going to be a big part of, um, I guess, the, the culture of Essence Mediacom as well. I think that's the unique part about being here in Australia is that the proposition of Essence Mediacom has this deeply rooted culture um, coming from ICOM, which which we talk about as a pioneering spirit. And that's really aligned with the Essence philosophy as well. If you think about Essence built as a very different proposition, started as an indie, uh, was acquired by Group M. And so that will be front and centre, that nature of of, of finding new ways of pioneering of that sort of we'll give it a crack spirit is is going to be at the core of what we build here in Australia. And just to go back to something Maria um, mentioned before, you said you don't have a particularly, I guess, traditional route to the CEO role. Um, a lot has obviously changed in, in the last 10 years. And I remember just over, well, it was about a year ago now when Katie herself was on this podcast, we spoke about, um, I guess, how the the C-suite, well, the executive roles within this industry have changed ever since she became CEO of Mindshare in 2012. What Do you think there is, I guess, a normal path to that CEO role now? It seems like um, it's it's sort of, more of a case of who's the best fit 
I mean, it would be interesting to get both of your, your views on that. Do you want to go first, Amy? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I do think it's changed. I think it, you, there used to be a much more linear path. Um, and I think what's happening is our clients are wanting to have very different and, and much deeper conversations on things. And therefore, the people that you put into these roles, it's two things. Can they front up and have the conversations at a top-to-top level that are meaningful to the client's business and the direction of where they're going? And do they represent the proposition of what we're trying to build in that agency? And I think, Maria, it was just such a clear fit for us and and kind of blew us, blew our minds a little bit in the way that she articulated what she believed was the opportunity for Mindshare and the capability that she was bringing to the core of that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm definitely not someone that goes, it's this path. And I think increasingly we're looking at a lot wider skill sets. And, and selfishly, I want wider skill, set, skill sets and diversity of thought at that exco because without that, it's the same kind of mindset having trying to solve the same problem. So definitely think it's changed. Yeah, I agree. I think it's changed, but... And I think there isn't a typical kind of archetype of, you know, this is the pathway and this is, you know, the capability set that, you know, every CEO for agency needs to embody. But I think what is consistent is just that level of EQ that is required at the C-suite level. And I think without that aspect to the way that you lead, how you lead effectively, it is probably going to be challenged. So whilst, you know, from a hard skills or a capability perspective, that might be one thing, but then, you know, from the style of leadership, having EQ, I think is an essential for any C-suite leader um, in the current environment. Yeah, I think that was the, um, the, the, the line that stood out most when, when you were appointed, uh, Maria, um, Amy said you had incredible emotional intelligence that matched up with, I guess, the leadership shown by Katie, and also that was required of of that agent of that um, agency. Do, do you think that also translates in terms of actually going to market for, I guess, things like um, new business as well? Amy, we, I mean, we, it was funny. One of the the biggest, I guess, wins of the year. I, I guess you could call it. Um, a, a win was um, retaining um, Nike, which was, I, I think you would call it a win because it went against the global grain of that um, that shift. We thought it was um, a win, Cal. Well, no, that's why, that's why I'm calling it because, you know, you're, 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 you're going against what was a global, global decision, which is a pretty big mark of approval. Um, do you think that contributed to it, Amy, the relationship that was already established there? Or why, why do you think that that happened? I think in all of these things more broadly as you talk about new business or at the specifics of the Nike relationship, it's the it's the work. Is the work good enough and are we delivering to their needs? And ultimately, whether it's spoken or not, do they like working with us? And mm-hmm. I think that's a massive part of new business. The casting nearly every time has almost as much impact as what you say in the room. So, yeah, I mean, we're a people business and, and and we ultimately spend a lot of time with our clients and the people that we work with and we want that to be an enjoyable experience. Uh, uh, what do you both make of um, 
I guess the the new business market at the moment. It's been, uh, I guess, a bit of an up and down year in terms of um, businesses that have actually taken their their brands to market. It seems like, I guess, aside from Coles, none of the really big Aussie brands have sort of looked to shift this year. Do you think that might change going into twenty twenty three, Maria? I mean, it's going to be an interesting year ahead. I think there's, you know, a lot of uncertainty around what the economy will look like. And even from a supply chain perspective, the constraints of the geopolitical situation, how that might continue to impact on um, clients across the Australian landscape, whether they're international or domestic brands. Um, And I think it's really hard to to call it because that volatility might mean that a lot of clients are looking for security and are looking to Mm -hmm. really just focus in and batten down on what they need to achieve in that type of an environment. Um, But, you know, conversely, it might mean some clients need to change to meet what their new needs are if they're not within their existing relationship, really feeling confident that they have the best kind of defence strategy in place with their existing relationship. And what what have you made of things um, so far this year, Amy? I was just reflecting on it. Look, I think coming out of COVID, what we saw is incredible adaptability and I think a lot of empathy both ways. Uh, I think as that normalised into this year, it became it became slightly different and I think clients reevaluated potentially what it is that they needed moving forward. I'm a massive believer that a pitch should be your last last outcome and I think often mm-hmm. we haste to that position um, and we see it with the clients like we you know every, relationships go through bumps and we see it with the clients that lean into that and look to resolve it they're the deepest richest most long-standing relationships we have um, so my lens on it would be particularly in the year we've had with a massive war on talent if you can resolve the issues resolve them with your your existing agency, the energy that they will be able to put into that, that will pay off into your business, will be way more than what you'll get through. Yeah, through a pitch process, which you just don't know what's real and what's what's not. So, I'd like to think that that's changing. I definitely feel like in the last few years we've seen an increase in clients wanting to sit down and resolve the things that aren't working and build on the partnerships that exist. And I'd hope that as we go into next year that those conversations increase. I think it's 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 going to be incredibly interesting as we see, as and if we see economic pressure, um, the emphasis on cost and price inevitably comes. And I, I just hope that that can be done in a respectful and productive way yeah. because we're, we're, we're all trying to, we're all ultimately trying to do the same thing. We're here to grow our clients' business and we're here to, protect and grow our own business and I think we have to find the sweet spot in that respectfully and I guess on that obviously the relationship the nature of the relationship is that you both want to keep growing do you have a sort of approach to I guess doing it in that way where even if budgets do get constrained a little bit you can continue to show growth for your clients and partners and I guess keep your staff enthused as well um Maria maybe we'll start with you there yeah, we're having a lot of discussions around um, productivity in those instances. And I think that's um, 
an aspect that we often overlook when having these discussions with clients. What's really important to them? What, you know, really is going to move the needle? And how can we maybe minimise some of the other, you know, administrative tasks that in that current climate don't necessarily add value to the relationship or the outcome that we're jointly seeking. So that's where a lot of our focus will be in those discussions. Amy, I guess just finally on that same point, are you how are you kind of looking at 2023, going in with confidence, maybe a bit of hesitancy? How are you sort of, I know there's been, um, there's been a few different opinions in market. How are you seeing things? I think the word I I would use is kind of cautiousness. I think it's you know I, I'm a fairly optimistic person. I think I think to have worked in agencies for this long, you have to be intrinsically optimistic. But I think to be responsible, we need to be cautious. We can't look at what's happening around the world and the volatility of the last twelve months with the Ukraine, with the US, with China, and not. Be cautious and responsible because I think I think ultimately we want to protect our staff, um, and that might mean moving slightly slower to some things while we wait and see. And I think that's the approach we're taking. We're being, you know, we're not we're not we're not holding back on making the investments we need to make, but we're being mindful about how how and when we make them. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess on that, um, this also comes at a time when Group M. Um, probably out of the, um, the the big groups has been most bullish on its climate aims. Um, and that sort of comes right from the top with the global CEO, Christian Jewell. Um, I think recently there was a, a new client um, coalition, Group M announced, bringing yep. together 20 yep. advertisers with about uh, worth about $10 billion in annual investment, looking to accelerate the decarbonisation of the world's um, media supply chain. Could you tell us a little bit about, I guess, how this would work and how, I guess, it will play into the strategy while you continue to look for growth in 2023? Yeah, look, I think ultimately, I think it's important to understand the goal that we have because that that's sort of what's fueling the decisions we're making. We've got a very public statement as WPP to get to a net neutral position by 2030 and to genuinely re- reduce emissions by 50%. I think what's unique in that is that we are the only whole co that's put our scope three supply chain mm-hmm. um, into that. And because of that, Group M represents 55% of the emissions of WPP. So there's a massive onus and responsibility that I think we all feel to take action and to move this conversation forward. We don't have all the answers on this. I think anyone who's telling us, telling you they've got the answers is not being honest because it's very much a mm-hmm. journey of education and discovery. But we're super passionate about taking the right steps forward. Globally, there's an enormous amount of work being done, uh, as you referenced the coalition, which is really around getting clients to start to look at optimising investment to a to a better environmental impact. Um, and then secondly, uh, the work around the carbon calculator, which has been built, but I think interestingly, the me- methodology that determines how you measure carbon within that calculator has been open sourced to the industry because we fundamentally really want the, the industry to come together and agree on how we do that so we're not having separate conversations. So that's happened at a global level. At a local level, what we've done is gone 
how are we going to activate and engage our people and clients around this? And we've developed a platform called Alpha. Alpha's the next generation of kids. So it's uh, Maria and I are both parents of Alphas. We feel it every day. Um, they, the name is actually quite fitting, I have to say. And um, we are looking at a whole of business approach. So probably the one that you've read a lot about is the DSI, the Digital Sustainability Initiative, where we've partnered with yep. Goodloop. Um, that's been going for two months. We've probably got 40% of our client base uh, on that. And we are using a green ad tag basically to measure the amount of carbon that is being emitted through our digital supply chain. We had we measured 220 million impressions, I think it was, in the first two months, and we offset about 180 um, tonne of carbon and then are running a lot of tests to look at how we reduce that. So that was the first stage of, of the project. As we move into next year, we're doing a, doing a stream around galvanising our staff. I think there's a really interesting insight that we – we all go into our green sustainable offices and we don't use single-use plastic in the office. You know, it's it's all set up for us. And business and corporate Australia, I think, has really lent into that by and large. But our staff and yeah. probably all of us on this call walk out of there and behave the way we've always behaved. And I think we see that as a massive opportunity to get our staff to develop their own MyNet Zero plans and almost gamify and incentivise around that. So that's that's the next stream coming. There's also a big um, – we've taken the Scope 3 um, data feed and we're looking at how do we build that into our almost investment dashboard so we can look at investment and look at carbon in the same negotiation. Yeah. Um, and then – Ultimately, the last sort of piece of it that we want to be building next year will be around a green outcomes product. So how do we optimise to um, lower carbon from a digital point of view? So look, it kind of just keeps building. I have to say I've, I've never worked on a project that I've enjoyed so much, but also a project that our teams have galvanised around and the team across all of the agencies have been just so proactive in this space. So, yeah, we're, we're super excited about it. I guess the the interesting thing is that relationship with a company like a media buying agency where all of your business comes through interaction with other companies. Is the, What's that been like, I guess, trying to get some of those companies to come along that journey with you? Has there been, I guess, any struggle with that? Or do you get to the point where you're just like, well, we're going on this journey. You can either come with us or, or not. With clients. Yeah. Yeah, look, fascinating. Um, you've had, you know, think about the Mindshare client base and Volvo. One of the first conversations was with Volvo and they're like, okay, when are we doing this? And how quickly can we make it happen? Like just so engaged, like because it fits so squarely into their strategic direction of their business and they've been genuinely jumping on it. They've also gone a whole nother step to do a climate positive action and planting baby corals on the Great Barrier Reef as part of that project. Mm-hmm. And so you get a sense of that. I think most clients are shocked when we explain the impact of booking advertising and the way that we do it through the programmatic supply chain how much of an impact that has in terms of volume of carbon. They're genuinely shocked. I think as soon as you unearth that that problem, people want to solve for it. And mm-hmm. by and large, the response has been, oh, my gosh, I did not know that. What can we do about it? Um, so, yeah, I felt 
and appreciative that we're kind of working hard to uncover what what this what this is what is happening, but also my big thing on this with the Exco and, and Maria and the team was we don't want to go just tell them the problem. We want to go tell them how we can start to take action towards solving the problem. And I think the measurement is probably was the hard piece to get happening. But once we had the measurement, I think it was what do we do next? Maria, are you finding the, the same, I guess, from, from your conversations? And what's that like from, I guess, the perspective of coming in and having that that big task at hand as well yeah no it's been awesome like our proposition around good growth just perfectly aligns to this proof point um and the fact that we can enable our clients to think about you know how our media can contribute to some of their goals um internally around esg and carbon reduction is Mm -hmm. is just awesome and i think you know it's taking us into an area of uh consultancy and you know thought leadership that isn't necessarily an obvious place um, for media to play, but is a really, really important one. I was just at the AANA um, kickoff drinks last night, and it's something that the AANA, as well as an organisation, is really getting behind. So setting up their own um, committee across clients to focus on this with their own charter of ambition. So it's definitely on everyone's radar. And as an industry, that's what I love about this industry, you know, we can get behind a really meaningful purpose and collaborate together, kind of remove, you know, the competitive barriers and really affect proper change. So uh, just a couple of uh, last ones before I let you get on with your your lovely sunny Friday. Um, the last agency of the, the, the with, I guess, the last M agency of the, uh, the Group M uh, heritage, is that a lot of pressure to keep that name up, Maria? <laughs> well, you're on M as well, I should say, so... <laughs> very funny yeah we just a lot had of our, pressure um, maria a lot of pressure we had our christmas party it was a uh, m themed so um yeah. everyone's very passionate about the m heritage in mindshare um but you know we're also very proud of our heritage we just celebrated 25 years of existence um which was wonderful on november 2 so it's definitely part of our fabric as well purple's not going anywhere mindshare's purple's not going not anywhere <laughs> No. And all the other agencies are, there are M's, they just have to turn them different ways. Yeah. (laughs) Time for a name change, Amy? (laughs) Or is that enough for now? No, no, enough, (laughs) enough. We're happy in Mindshare, here to stay. You heard it here. And um, just just a final one for for you, Amy. You kind of mentioned um, the tough decision it was leaving OMD, but the agencies continue to do well this year, and obviously that comes under a senior leadership team, which you no doubt played a massive role in shaping. What what's that like? Uh, what's that been like this year? Watching them, I guess, continue to do well, or is it a case of you know only want them to do so well until a certain point? <laughs> No, it's been awesome. I'm thrilled for those guys. I mean, as I said, very near and dear to my heart. They've exceptional talent. They've done an incredible job to get to where they are um, when I left and they've continued to to build on those foundations. So, yeah, no, thrilled for them. It's it's a small industry, you know. They were like family to me for 10 years and I'd only want great things. And and it was awesome that they retained Coles. I felt like that was absolutely deserved and – I think I was probably as excited as some of the Melbourne team when that happened. So, yeah, absolutely thrilled. 
And I guess now that you're overseeing several brands, do you, do you ever miss the, uh, the the single brand focus of maybe being specific to to one agency, or is that do you still get your fix of that now? No, I love it. I think um, I look at it's it's some days I I leave discussions uh, entertained because I can remember being in those shoes and feeling. You know, running an agency is like you're wearing 30 hats in a day. And I love the fact that the CEOs have let me kind of walk into those discussions and get involved. And um, I just feel like I've got more hats to play with is probably the honest truth. And it's it's a pleasure to kind of watch Maria come in and make it her own. And, you know, she, she presented her plan to the Exco last week and we were all super inspired and and it's kind of awesome to see people shape the culture and business in a way that represents who they are and where they want to go and and our job and my job is to enable that and that's sort of awesome as well like I miss being in the mix every now and then I'm like wish I got invited to more of the Christmas parties (laughs) you didn't get an invite (laughs) <laughs> no, I did. I did. <laughs> Maria definitely invited me. I'm, I'm more teasing Peter Vogel. <laughs> there's, the, there's the headline. Amy Buchanan denied invite to Wave Maker Christmas <laughs> <Wait>. party. <laughs> I think he probably did. He'll Not say you were. You were. Nah, it's awesome. And there's look, we had it we went we did an offsite last week and it's just an awesome exco. I think that's the bit I didn't anticipate. Like there's a genuine care for each other and it's a room where people walk in and sort of share how their day's gone good and bad and um there's a lot of there's a lot of shared learnings and insights on and an appetite for each of the agencies to do well from each of the agencies and and that's that's a credit to the people who were there before because it existed when I walked in and it's been an absolute pleasure to be part of it and it's the bit I'm loving to be honest is that group of people and building that brilliant well it's been a pleasure having you both on the podcast today great to see you and um I'm sure well enjoy the Christmas parties of of which ones you're invited to Amy but uh yeah (laughs) I think I've (laughs) invited them all for the record (laughs) (laughs) thanks Cal thanks Callum Bye. Thanks for listening to this Mum Brother Cast interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, drop us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen on. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. <laughs>